Hello, and welcome back to a special Labor Day edition of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, I am joined with the very well-known Dr. Temple Grandin, as we're going to talk about her personal life and autism in general. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I am joined with Dr. Temple Grandin. Welcome to the show, Dr. Grandin. Well, it's really good to be here today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get on with the show. All right. Well, I'm a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. Been there for many, many years. So I teach a class in livestock behavior, do research on livestock behavior, design equipment, do lots of different things. And when I was a little kid, I had you know severe autistic symptoms, no speech until age four, was very lucky to get into really good education. And at this time, I want to thank my teachers that I've had. Mm-hmm. My starting with my speech teacher, my mother, always pushing me to do new things, my elementary school teacher, my science teacher in high school who got me motivated to study, my aunt out at the ranch where I got introduced to the cattle industry. And I also want to help um, um, tell me tell you about a good friend of mine, a building contractor who helped get my business started. Uh, teachers and mentors are extremely important. Yes, they are. I mean, that's funny that you mentioned your science teacher because it was my science teacher when my parents realized that science was my love. Yeah. Basically, what happened was with me in school, they kept getting calls saying, Reed couldn't sit still until it became my science class. And they realized there was something different with me. Well, the thing is, I. I think it's very important to develop strengths. Mm -hmm. I was good at art when I got to be seven and eight years old. My mother always encouraged my ability in art. Really important to build on strengths. I also learned working skills really young. I, uh, When I was in high school, I cleaned nine horse stalls every day, fed the horses, put them in and out of the barn, and learned work skills. So you learned what a true work ethic is at a young age. Yes. And I'm talking, I have a, lots of grandparents that come up to me and they discover they're on the autism spectrum when the kids get diagnosed. And a lot of those grandparents have paper routes, so they learn the working skills. And where the diagnosis really helps them is with their relationships. This is where an older person that gives insight, where there might be problems with their marriages or something like this. Uh, they get a whole lot of insight from that uh, when they learn that they're on the spectrum and that they think differently. So basically grandparents look at their grandkids and realize from watching them that they are on the spectrum. Yes, and I probably have talked to about 50 grandparents at different conferences. They come up and they discover they're on the spectrum when either the grandkids or their own kids got diagnosed with autism. And I have a book called Different Not Less, where I have 18 older people diagnosed later in life describe their experiences. And the diagnosis later in life gave them a lot of insights into why their relationships sometimes had problems. 
I mean, that's an amazing thing you say because I've talked with so many older people that have been diagnosed late in life and realize that explains a lot of their past. That's right. This is the book right here, Different Not Less. Mm -hmm. 18 people describing in their own words their um, experiences later in life. And most of them had good jobs. They managed to get decent jobs and keep them because uh, they've learned working skills young. I mean, that's amazing because when you look back and you realize that it's your autism that's caused all your issues, now you have kind of a, a way to look forward and work with it and not against it. Well, let's look at some famous scientists. Einstein had no speech till age three. He'd been in autism class. Elon Musk had came out on Saturday Night Live and said he was on the autism spectrum. You see, this is the problem with autism. You're going from someone like Einstein up to very severe autism where they can't dress themselves. Now, all of the people in the different, not less book would have had the more, what they used to call Asperger's, socially awkward, no speech delay. They would have been the people with no speech delay or um, or no obvious speech delay. Now, at what age were you diagnosed? Well, I was in speech therapy by the time I was two and a half years old. I was in very, very good therapy. Now, I'm old enough. I just turned 75. The doctors didn't know what autism was. So the original diagnosis is brain damaged. But fortunately, I went into a very good program that two teachers told out, just taught out of their home. Mm -hmm. And they did all the same things that good programs do today. Lots of one-to-one -one teaching, teaching words, also teaching how to take turns at games. Very important. Learning how to wait and take turns at games. And then basic skills like dressing, using a knife and fork, uh, brushing my teeth, basic skills. So at what age did you finally figure out what your special interest was? Well, actually, I originally wanted to be an experimental psychologist. And if you watch the HBO movie about me, I got fascinated by the optical illusion room and um, was shown science class when I was in high school. Uh, students get interested in stuff to get exposed to. I didn't get exposed to cattle until I was in high school. Wow. And um, I was talking to freshman students uh, just coming into our university. We had kind of a uh, all the school clubs like in our agriculture department. Um, I had a little table set up where, um, you know, we could talk to students and I talked to a whole bunch of students and I said, try different things in our department. You know, you could do a calving internship. You could work uh, animal welfare judging, meat judging. You could work out at our farm. Um, there was a whole bunch of stuff that students could try. And I really want to emphasize to all students, no matter what field they're in, try different stuff. Too often, parents force their kid to become a doctor or a lawyer and they hate it. And what I have found on successful careers, and I don't care what field it is, true for all fields, exposure. And for me, cattle started out strictly exposure, then mentoring. Even Michelangelo would probably be diagnosed with autism. He grew up uh, running around in all the churches that were commissioning great art, dropped out of school at age 12, and but he also grew up with stone cutting tools and then later on mentoring exposure, mm -hmm. then mentoring. Because I find with our students, uh, maybe 70% want to become veterinarians. That's an eight year degree. 
And then by the time they get to their junior year, they discover, well, there's interesting careers you can do in agriculture with a four-year degree. And these would be careers they didn't even know about. So I said, try different stuff. Help professors with their research. Sometimes you don't know where the road's going to lead. It's important to find out what you like, mm -hmm. but also find out what you hate. You might true. say, well, I tried that one thing and I just hated it. Well, it's important to know that. It's so true. I mean, how many times have you heard of a parent forcing their son into something or a father and they just aren't happy and their parents just keep pushing them, pushing them and they graduate and they're miserable? Well, that's not the right thing to do. And but I, I think what's real important is uh, students need to get exposed to a lot of things. Like I'm a visual thinker. And mm -hmm. when I was out working in construction, I worked in heavy construction, uh, design the equipment, supervise insulation. I was out in these factories when they were getting built. And I'm going to estimate that 20% of the people I worked with that designed and patented machinery and built things with autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. So for my kind of mind, one of the good things to go into is design on, or mechanics because they can use a visual thinking skill. And then you have the mathematical kind of autistic person that's out in Silicon Valley programming computers. They think in patterns. In fact, I'm going to discuss these different kinds of thinking in my new book, Visual Thinking, that's mm -hmm. coming out um, really soon. But people on the spectrum tend to be good at one thing, bad at something else. We need to find the thing they're good at. I've seen bad situations where the kid was really good at computer programming. Both parents were programmers, but they were so locked into the autism label, they didn't think to expose their kid to computer programming. Yeah. I tried computer programming. I was not able to do it. But it's important to get exposed to a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, my father was a programmer, he was good in computers, me, I couldn't understand the logic of programming. If you try, if you sat there and taught it to me. I at am, least you tried it. At yeah, least you tried it. And yeah, I was exposed to the exact same computer that Bill Gates was exposed to the exact same one. I tried it, I couldn't do it. He tried it and he took off. Mm hmm. And it's uh, funny, Bill Gates is autistic. Well, that's right. And if Bill Gates hadn't been exposed to that computer, the same one that I got exposed to, his mm -hmm. career probably wouldn't have gone the path it went. Now, what is it like to be one of the first women in your field? Well, being a woman in the 1970s in the cattle industry was a very big barrier. Autism was about a non-issue in the 70s. Mm -hmm. It was being a woman. And I had to be extremely good at what I did. So what I did is I would sell myself by showing my work, drawings, pictures of projects, just get out there and just show the work, had to be really good at what I did. And the other thing is I saw doors to opportunity. There's a scene in the movie, in the HBO movie, where I go up to the editor of our state firm magazine and I get his card because I knew if I wrote for that magazine, it would help my career. And then I produced a decent article. Okay. And too many people are too scared to go up and ask. This is a big problem I'm seeing with uh, college students today. Uh, even the so-called regular college students, they don't ask for help soon enough when they have a problem. Yeah, now, how did you become interested in animal behavior? Then? Exposure to it. 
Mm. When I was an undergraduate, I, I had a wonderful um, animal behavior class taught by a retired um, professor named Tom Evans. So that's exposure. And then the optical illusion room, I got interested in that after seeing a science movie. You see, you've got to expose kids to interesting things. And and um, originally I was going to go into psychology. One of my problems is I can't do higher math. So I had to go the route that um, doesn't have higher math. Um, but what I've learned on the equipment designing and the mechanics, most of the people I worked with that were inventing complicated mechanical equipment, most of them couldn't do algebra either. And they started out uh, from a welding class or they started out from working on cars. And then there was good at building things and somebody asked him to build something and then other people asked him to build more stuff. And they'd start out little tiny shops that would grow into big shops. And what's happening today, these shops aren't getting replaced. Taking out skilled trades is the worst things our schools ever did. And fortunately now, some places are putting it back in. I agree with you on that. I mean, I was in when I was back in school, they had shop class and I believe we had home economics classes. Now you don't they even had all that stuff that. when I was in school. Yeah, and they don't have it anymore. Those are the things that the kids need to go on to college with because if it teaches them a trade. Well, and I'm not going to say everybody on the spectrum is to go into a trade. There's three kinds of minds. There's the object visualizer and me cannot do algebra. The things that we're going to be good at are going to be mm -hmm. mechanics, art, animals. Um, those are some of the things we're going to be super good at. And just, you know, design, art, photography would be another thing. Then you have your spatial visual or visualizer mathematical mind. That's your engineer, <laughs> computer programmer, chemistry, physics. And then you have your um, person who's verbal totally verbal things and words and the thing in engineering is there's kind of two parts of engineering there's the more mathematical parts mm -hmm. and i've noticed a very interesting division of labor since i've been on construction projects for every major meat company on how the engineering work gets divided up the university trained engineer will do boilers refrigerations make sure the roof doesn't collapse water and power my kind of mind, who can't do algebra, invents all of the mechanically clever equipment. Think packaging equipment. Very mechanically clever. I mean, you can look that up online and see how mechanically clever it is. I call it the clever engineering department. Hmm. And this is where we're not replacing people because you need both parts of engineering, the visual non-mathematical part and the mathematical part of it. Very interesting. I mean, I've always tried to figure out what mind I am in. I know I'm not good with math. Uh, when, when you think about things, like when I think about stuff like these different factories that I worked on, I'm actually seeing them and I'm seeing some of the people that I worked with. Mm -hmm. You see, everything is specific. It's bottom up thinking. It's very, very specific. Now, do you have ADHD as well? Well, I don't think so. Don't get too hung up on these diagnoses. They are not precise. In fact, ADHD and autism has a lot of genetic crossover and a lot of crossover with the brain. Now, autism is a true continuous trait. 
when does slightly nerdy and geeky deserve a label? Yeah. In its mildest versions, it would be a personality variant in its mildest versions. But then you'll also get very severe versions. Um, but it's not, it's not like having tuberculosis where you either have it or you don't have it. I mean, that's why it's called a spectrum nowadays is because right. there, is, there is so many different vari variations. I mean, every one is different from every one. But there are certain things that tend to be similar. Multitasking is an issue. Mm -hmm. That's common. I cannot remember long strings of verbal information. Like, let's say a simple close out the cash drawer in a Walmart. In the beginning, I would need to write down the four or five steps that that would take on a pilot's checklist because I don't remember sequence well until I will have done the job enough mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have to uh, write, you know, have a checklist anymore. I mean, that's almost the same with me where if someone would sit there on the phone and give me a whole list of things to remember, I couldn't remember it. I'd have to sit there and write it down. Well, I have to write it down and and um, I heard a really sad story with a guy that was building fencing for a fencing contracting company. Mm -hmm. And he got a new boss and the boss didn't give him a chance to write down when he was supposed to build, build that day. And then he built it wrong. I, um, you know, should have just given him the opportunity to write down, okay, now what do you want built on this fence? And let me write it down. Mm -hmm. um, so now those seem to be kind of universal problems. The multitasking issue and remembering long strings of verbal instruction. Those are two things where all the levels of the spectrum have seemed to have difficulty with when it comes to work stuff. Now, social, I get really emotional about doing really cool, interesting things. Friends through shared interests. That's where I have friends. That seems to be where it's at with those of us who are autistic. We sh we make friends through either the fact that we're autistic or they have a shared interest is the same as ours. And that's how we seem to build our friend base. Well, that's right. A lot of my friends are in the livestock industry. They um, uh, build things. We love to talk about construction. Mm -hmm. I find that very interesting. Just, uh, I met a lady on a plane and she... Um, I was construction manager for concrete work, and we spent two hours discussing tilt-up warehouse construction and concrete forms. That was a really good flight. <laughs> it's always a good flight when you have someone you can share an interest with and just talk the entire flight. Well, and they just want to kind of geek out on stuff. Now, did you have friends growing up? Yes, I did. In elementary school, I had a lot of friends. High school was horrible. Because in elementary school, kids like to do projects. So we'd like build a treehouse together or do something like that, fly kites together, ride bikes together. But when I got into high school, you know, the other girls were interested in jewelry and makeup. I wasn't interested in any of that stuff. And I had a terrible time in high school. And I got bullied, called all kinds of names. Mm -hmm. I got thrown out of high school for fighting. After a girl bullied me, I threw a book at her. <laughs> and ended up going to special school for kids with problems and they put me to work running the horse barn. And for about three years, I did no studying, but I learned working skills. They're really, really important. You know, high school, worst part mm -hmm. of my life. I think some of these kids need to go right from being a child, right to being a grown up, and skip the whole teenager thing. 
I mean, I think most of us who are neurodivergent deal one way or another with bullies in high school. Yeah, that seems to be a universal problem. Elon Musk was bullied in high school and shoved down the stairs and got very his face seriously injured. I mean, I was literally, I wouldn't say tormented, but I was like blackmailed for protection money every day from these two football players. And I almost had to mask who I was just to pretend to be cool at the time, just so I fit in. And now I realize what I was doing back then was just protecting myself. Well, yeah. And and uh, the things where I got some of the happiest times is we were just trying to figure out how to build something or solve a problem in animal behavior. Um, I get, um, you know, ha- having an interesting career where you actually can do something where you make a positive difference is um, uh, really important. It's important to have a job that you like. Now, every job, no matter how good it is, has a certain amount of sort of like grunt work where uh, when I worked, wrote for the magazine, when I first started, I, I write writing articles. Um, you have to also do the busy work, like write up all the show and sale results. But that's part of the job. So I had to mm-hmm. like make big lists of who was champion bull and things. And, and you have to do that all accurately. It isn't all the fun feature articles. True. Now, how did you get into teaching? Well, I, uh, I uh, you know, got my advanced degree. And when I was in, in uh, University of Illinois, I was doing some guest lectures uh, at some universities on my livestock handling. And one of the ways I got into the into Colorado State is I called up my friend Bernard Rowland, who was professor there at Animal Ethics, and I came out and gave a seminar. That's kind of was unconventional way. We came in just part time in the beginning, and you know we need to start looking for a lot more back doors of opportunity. They're everywhere, and people don't look for them. I had a chance uh, a few years ago. I went out to the Apple headquarters and talked to a young man out there that was working on hardware design. And how did he get in there? His professor in the Midwest knew somebody at Apple. You see, that's just connections. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like what my parents always have told me is it's not what you know, it's who you know nowadays. I would say that's true for about half of all jobs for mm-hmm. everybody. Half of all jobs. So true. I mean, that's why getting into any big time company is harder than it used to be, because now it's who you know and what you have. Your degrees don't matter anymore. It's who well, you know and what you The other field. thing is, one thing about big corporations, just look at any big corporation from a career standpoint, is I've seen a lot of people start off like with just a basic entry level job and work right up. And that's especially true in a company that's rapidly expanding. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the field is. If it's something that's rapidly expanding and you've got some ability, you can move right up from entry level positions. Now, did you have a pet growing up at all? Yeah, we had um, a Siamese cat and we had uh, golden retriever dogs when I was a kid. And all the dogs in our neighborhood just ran loose. There were no <laughs> loose laws. And you know what? They didn't have all the behavior problems we got now. We had golden retrievers, Labrador retrievers. Um, there was a grumpy old uh, husky that we stayed away from and a scary Airedale that was locked up in the neighbor's house that we were terrified of. 
And one of the reasons the Airedale was pricey is because um, it never got to run around outside. But the labs and the Goldens just ran around outside and we'd throw balls for them. And uh, they knew all the kids and we played with them. Mm-hmm. And the dogs had a wonderful time. And we didn't, that's some of the behavior problems we got now, though the dog ate the house up because it was home alone. We just didn't have those kind of problems. Um, I think today we've actually caused a lot of problems with animals. And a lot of dogs are afraid of everything because they don't meet enough new people or enough new places. That is so true. I mean, that's why nowadays vets always tell you to socialize if you your dog once you get a new dog because it helps build that relationship with them and people. Well, that's really important. You know, it's really important really super important and being a visual thinker that helped me in my work with animals because animals don't aren't verbal it's a sensory based world in fact my book animals and translation i talk about how visual thinking and autism actually helped me to understand animals now i remember from your speech you gave at your tedx you thanked your science teacher do you remember anything your science teacher taught you today well i he taught me a lot about scientific method. One of the most important things he taught me is he taught me how to look up scientific journal articles. Now, mm. today, it's so easy to do that online. Back in my generation, they had these big, huge books in the library, like giant phone books, old-fashioned phone books, and they would have summaries of uh, journal articles. And I started working on this before there were copiers in the library. So if you found an article that you liked, you had to write down the title and you had to just take notes on it. (laughs) It was so much work. But he taught me that there was this whole world of literature that was called scientific journal articles. You know, that Cyclopedia Britannica is not the main source of information. You know, today it'd be Wikipedia. And there's a lot of good things on Wikipedia. And you can use a lot of the references. But learning where scientists publish, that was a very important thing he taught me. Mm-hmm. He took me to the big research library. And I looked up scientific journal articles. And especially on optical illusions, i because I got really interested in that optical illusion room that was shown in the movie. And I actually did build it and they didn't tell me how to build it. They wanted me to figure it out for myself. So that was one of the things he taught me on sort of how to be a scientist. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I remember my own science teacher. I remember his name. It was Dr. Daniel Stewart. I remember he used to always have a phrase he used to tell us, which is, you don't know what you know until you you don't know what you know until you don't know anything at all. And he used to put it on pens and pencils and hand it out to us in class. And he used to always push that saying to us. Well, I'm um, Mr. Carlock. Uh, he got an honorary doctorate for the movie. Uh, he was a NASA space scientist. That was true. Um, but uh, he taught me how to look for knowledge how to research things when it comes to academic stuff, because I still was seeing him after I went to college, I'd see him on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And, and even today, a lot of students don't know how to look things up. I just went to a seminar we had at our, at, at our university to introduce students to all the databases online. And there's students who get halfway through college and don't realize this, those databases exist. 
I mean, tell me about it. I mean, when I was for my master's, I remember in the thesis, they always would put, do not use Wikipedia. It's not a true source. Well, I was taught, do not use the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I remember when I was in college, they explained primary sources versus tertiary sources. And this was a history class. Mm -hmm. And and I remember going to the big research library in Boston and looking up things on microfilm and you wind this crank through like New York Times. And it was like uh, going through a time machine and and uh, a New York Times article was a primary source. Book of Knowledge or Encyclopedia Britannica or the, uh, were, were not, or the World Book, those were the encyclopedias, are not primary sources and they explain the difference. Now, since it was a history class, it didn't have to be scientific journal articles. But I remember that lecture really, really well. So basically now, a source- use the encyclopedia you know, they'd have references list. It's okay to go into the reference list. Mm-hmm. But now today it's so easy because you can go and look up a reference and you find out 10 people have cited that reference. Yep. Then you click on the citations and find even more stuff. And sometimes you find your best article in the reference list of another paper. Like when I was looking, I, I had kind of figured out that there were two kinds of visual thinking the object visualizer like me, and then the mathematical visual spatial. I was calling it photorealistic. And it took me a long time to find some of the science because I was using the wrong keyword. And then one night at three o'clock in the morning, I was going through the reference list online of a rather boring article on visual perception. And I found the Kosmikov papers and this new keyword, object visualizer. Man, I put that in, database, bam, um, stuff just came up. This is the thing oh, wow. that we were teaching the students yesterday. Like, for example, um, uh, you want to look at something about cattle behavior. So you might put cattle behavior, but then you need to do another search with the word cows because that paper only used the word cows. It's not going to come up if you use the word cattle. I found this new keyword, object visualizer. Boy, that opened up the door to a bunch of literature I didn't even know existed. And so... So I was just looking the reference list. And it was an old paper that I was looking in the reference list of. And sometimes you just find some amazing stuff. And when I was in, in the 70s, um, getting my master's, oh, you had to get stuff through interlibrary loan. Boy, it was a lot of work. But even today, there's certain things you have to get through interlibrary loan. Mm-hmm. Some obscure yeah. um, books that are out mm-hmm. of print. I remember that when I was going for my math, there were certain. What was, your, what was your master's on? My master's was in computer, uh, advanced computer science, um, artificial um, computational intelligence. And what you know, that have to have some kind of specialization. That computational intelligence was the specialization. It was the actual master's was advanced computer science. Okay. Yeah, and I did my master's on the behavior of cattle in different types of uh, cattle handling facilities. And when I when I did, when I did realize this, I should have gone for autism studies back when back then, because then it could have helped me now as opposed to later. Well, but there's still things that you learn. I think it's important to have uh, some things you do. Uh, that autism, I've done plenty of research on autism, and I've written plenty of stuff about it. But I also think it's important to be doing some things that have nothing to do with autism. I mm-hmm. do things like the cattle industry, anything to do with autism. 
I've just got a, a thing I was scribbling on a drawing upstairs to help figure out a way to make a design change in a cattle squeeze chute. It doesn't have anything to do with autism. It has to do with a, uh, was a research uh, project and they want to change the way a cattle chute was designed. I think it's important to um, uh, have some other interests. Yeah. Like I, I you know, animal behavior, uh, sustainability and animal ag. I'm getting really interested in that subject. Now, why do you think those of us on the spectrum are having such a hard time finding work? I think part of the problem is parents overprotect them. I'm seeing too many kids that um, they're 16 years old. They've never gone in a store and bought something by themselves. This is something I was doing when I was eight. And like every other kid in the neighborhood, got a little allowance. I got 50 cents a week. Boy, 50 cents could buy a lot in the 50s. I could get five Superman comics, 10 candy bars. But if I wanted a 69 cent airplane, I had to save for two weeks. But I'm seeing, but even the normal kids, uh, mm-hmm. like our new freshmen coming in, um, you know, two years of being kind of locked up, uh, they seemed really immature, a lot of them. And I said, now, is there something wrong with me? I'm some old foggy lady now. I talked to other younger faculty and he said the same thing. Very shy, scared to ask for help. Um, no, they need to get off the phones and uh, get out and do some other things. And and even the so-called normal kids haven't learned enough basic skills. But yeah. I think part of the problem is these granddads, when I talk to these grand granddads, grandmothers that find out they're on the spectrum, they'll had paper routes when they were young. We've got to find substitutes for the paper route, like maybe church volunteer jobs help out in the farmer's market, walk other people's dogs. Yeah. Not to do a task on a schedule for somebody outside the family. And that needs to start at around 11, chores when they're younger. And learning. I I have moms that can't let go and I suggest their kid go buy something. I talked to one mom and she can't get the guts up for the next time she goes to a gas station to hand her kid a $5 bill and have them go in the shop and buy a jug of milk. And she's right there and she can see while she's pumping the gas, see into the store. I'm saying things this simple, they're not learning. And it hurts the autistic kids more than it hurts the so-called normal kids. I think this is part of the problem. They're not, the academic skills and work skills are not the same. And then we need to be working on getting autistic kids into jobs before they graduate from high school. And I'll tell you what to avoid. Crazy McDonald's takeout window at lunchtime. I want to avoid that. <laughs> That's setting up failure. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be doing that. Chaotic store during the holidays. I want to avoid that. What people don't realize is we are so very intelligent. We could be solving so many issues all over the world. We are, but they don't put us where we where we're needed they're afraid to put us where we're needed well you know also i have to um you know i've done a lot of things to make improvements in the, in the livestock industry and one thing that i did is i wrote about my projects that's really important so other people could then make them mm-hmm. that's an important thing to do 
Now that brings me to my next question. Do you think that those of us who have ASD will be eventually solve the world's problems? Well, I think there's technical problems we need to be solving. I've been um, I just uh, reading about the Jackson, Mississippi, and the water system's all broken. And we have a lot of um, problems like that to have to be solved. And you have to have people who care about that stuff. <laughs> and that uh, the kind of people that would take care of that equipment, they're all retiring out. That's one reason why it's breaking. Mm-hmm. Because the more verbal thinkers don't, they don't see it. No, we've got infrastructure falling down and you need people with my kind of mind. I should care about that stuff. I care more about having the water system work than a lot of social stuff. You know, that's where a little bit of autism might be good. You know, mm-hmm. when I drive by the uh, pumps in New Orleans, these big gigantic pumps, those better work when there's a flood. And you know who ought to be taking care of those pumps? Some person with autism that loves those <laughs> pumps more than anything in the world. He'll make sure they work. Oh, yeah. And I start to get choked up when I think about that. Because if those pumps don't work, the city drowns. And you've got to have somebody who really cares about that. Like that's the most important thing in the world. That stuff's got to work. Now, when do you think it should, at what age do you think a parent should test their child to see if they're autistic? Well, okay, if you have speech delay, obviously there's a, something at wrong. And I had severe speech delay and I had severe repetitive abnormal behaviors. Obviously that kid's going to be taken in. But let's say you take the kid that's a no speech delay. Well, how's he doing in school? Oftentimes he's eight years old and has no friends and that's when they get tested. And, and they're having some problems in school and you have to have a label to get services. But I get concerned when the label becomes the entire identity. If anything, what's made my life worthwhile is having a, uh, having a career that's interesting and doing something worthwhile. Uh, I wanted to go into biomedical engineering. I wanted to go into aerospace. I couldn't do the math. Um, so I got to do engineering in a, in a field where I don't have to have an engineering degree to do it. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think more companies should do more things for those of us who are on the spectrum? I mean, companies like Microsoft and SSA. Well, yes, and what's happening, companies like Microsoft and IBM and, and Dell Computer have been reaching out, and they've been mainly reaching out to the more mathematically inclined, mm-hmm. the programming kind of jobs. Yeah. You see, you've got three kinds of minds on the, on the fully verbal end of the spectrum. You've got the object visualizer like me. We are the artists, the mechanics, work with animals and photography. It sounds almost I've uh, talked to many, many photographers, movie and still they're probably on the spectrum. Talked to one just the other day. Uh, he's really worried about his drone pilot's license because it has a little bit of math in it. Mm. And of course he wants to have that for photography. Um, and that's, you know, different kind of thinking. But what right now, in the food processing industry, if you want to build a poultry processing plant, you've got to import all the equipment from Holland because we don't make it. Mm-hmm. You see, that's the clever engineering. And also, you want the most advanced machine for making electronic computer chips. It's also from Holland. 
well, you need the mathematical engineering, but you also need my kind of mind. I've looked into the chip making machine um, uh, and there's plenty of stuff on that mechanical stuff for my kind of thinker in there. You take something like the Mars rover, the mathematicians get it there. But I found pictures online of the cameras before they were installed. Somebody built them on a workbench. They're no bigger than that. <laughs> Somebody made them on a workbench. And that skilled craftsman doesn't, or crafts lady doesn't get enough credit. Hand done wiring on them. I've looked all that stuff up. Have any of these companies actually reached out to you for help and how well, to run I've done their a lot of I, I've done a lot of uh, seminars for different companies. And when the financial sector's actually done some good reaching out, I did a big talk for S&P. I've given a talk to Goldman Sachs. You know, they look for the mathematical, you see. And then, and then a few of the verbal autistics, good with words, for one of the big banks is selling financial products. You see, that's specialized retail. Some have been very successful selling cars. You see, now my kind of mind, they always used to say, well, the dumb kids go into the skilled trades. Well, I can tell you right now, I've worked with people at big shops. They had 20 patents and they're not dumb. And it's a different kind of intelligence because you see how things work. And we're gonna have more messes like the water system in Jackson. Well, they just let it fall apart. Well, you see, my kind of mind can see that. We care about that kind of stuff. Now, what advice would you give to somebody who's on the spectrum, who, who's dealing with lowest, low self-esteem because his parents don't understand them? Well, uh, is this a, I need to know the age. My, this is a friend of mine. He's in his 30s. He is 30. Okay, an adult. It's an adult. An adult, yes. Well, I would try to find the thing that's given me self esteem. I remember when I did my drawings for the dip fat that was shown in the HBO movie. They actually showed the drawings. Um, and when I got done doing those drawings, I go, oh, this came out really good. I can't be too stupid if I designed this. I think one of the things that can help with self esteem is having some real accomplishment. And what I liked about the HBO movie is it showed my visual thinking and showed exactly how that worked. And the projects I did were all recreated accurately. I did all those projects. But find something you can be good at that's a skill other people want. And one of the things that motivated me to do those dip vets was I wanted to prove I wasn't stupid. That was a very big motivation. This was back in 76 and 78 when I was in my 20s. You know, people ask me how I get started. One project at a time. You know, I, mean, I started out right little tiny projects, um, mm -hmm. writing articles for State Farm magazine, and then I started write, writing for the National magazine. And I recognized the value of the press pass. That got me into big national cattle meetings with very expensive registrations that I could not afford for free. And then I went out and I got the card for the editor of the National Magazine, and I started writing for him. You see, I saw those doors. And this is where people a lot of times don't see the doors, and they're too scared to ask. And what helped me not to be scared is because when we were little kids in our neighborhood, when you were seven or eight years old, when the parents had a party, you had to put your good clothes on and shake hands with every guest and serve the snacks, take their coats, and be little host and hostesses. And I'm realizing what that taught me. 
I had the guts to go up to the editor and get the card. And then I produced the articles. Good for you. But I saw that door. That's something I figured out. I think a lot of people are too shy. And I wrote, and and then writing for a small state magazine led to writing for a national magazine. It's the same thing with stuff online. In fact, some places more ways to do it online. And the other thing I'd recommend, uh, a lot of garbage online. Don't be a generator of that garbage. <laughs> I, I don't write anything online that I'd be embarrassed about because it would interfere with stuff I care about, like helping people on the autism spectrum to get better jobs, um, helping improve uh, how livestock are treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned if, if online had existed when I was in my 20s, some of the rubbish I might have posted, and I would have really regretted it. Now, where do you think society has failed those of us who are autistic? Where what fails? Where society has failed us. Who? Well, I think one thing is not teaching enough uh, employment skills because the granddads managed to get jobs. And about a third of those granddads or grandmoms are in a skilled trade. That's my kind of mind. Well, if you don't get exposed to it to school, uh, how can you get started at it? And we're you know, losing skills. And you know, a lot of what I'm seeing in the gifted and talented classes, more of the STEM type kids, I've gone to those meetings. Oh, half those little kids are on the spectrum. <laughs> Half of them are there, and I'm, but we need to start, I think a better approach is work more bottom up. How can we help talented kids do things? Well, learning working skills, they are not the same skills as academic skills. And my mother was very concerned when the special school, which cost a pile of money for them to send me to, was gonna just let me run a horse barn. And Mr. Patey, the director said, let her get through her adolescence. I made up the schoolwork but I learned how to work. And what's happening with too many kids, they might even get an advanced degree and they don't know how to hold a job. First of all, you gotta be there. I had to clean the stalls every day. I had to feed them the right amount of feed. I had to make sure I closed the grain box. I'm very careful about that. Horse gets into the grain box, they're dead. When someone says the word responsibility, I can see the old wooden lid on the grain box, putting it down, putting this latch down and twisting a little thingy on it. That's responsibility. Shut the lid and lock it. Yeah, every day after I fed him, I had to shut that lid and lock it. That's uh, responsibility. Now, how would I go about figuring out, figuring out what kind of thinker I am? I mean, well, let's. I can ask you some questions. Okay. When you were in school, what were your best subjects? Science. Um, what, what kind of science? How about math? Math, I suck at really you're bad. bad at, okay, you're bad at math. Okay. Um, I mean, like you had said, you're talking about finite math. That was my savior. My I had my brother had a friend who was a math teacher. She sat down with me and she tutored me in finite math, and I understood it. Well, and that's what I was done with me. And the new math teacher we had at my small college tutored me in his office. But I also asked for help. When I failed the first quiz, I asked for help. 
And a big mistake a lot of students make is they don't ask for help when they get into trouble. I think they're getting worse at this. I just, we just had a lab in my class and I just found out that the, the, where they have the, our farm, it's like eight miles away. And a, a student tried to walk there, looked it up on her phone. It's 20 minutes by car. A student tried to walk there. This is something where it would have never even crossed my mind that someone would even think to do that. Well, that's where I, and this was a regular student. So now I'm going to make sure the next time we make sure we tell them it's eight miles away. And no, we will provide transportation for you. <laughs> and we had announced that, make sure they had transportation. I, I think they, you know, they've been staying at home for the last two years. And, you know, there's a big world out there. It's bigger than stuff that's on their phone. No, and it's, it's not a place I want a student walking to. It's out on, you have to go on the freeway. Well, now I've, I, I never dreamed that a student would even think to do that. It's the millennials of today. Well, I, I'm shocked. And, and I think also too shy to ask. I, I put my cell phone number down in a syllabus. They can text me. Of, I think part of the problem is technology. They depend on it so much. Today's kids don't know how to read a map. And this is something my parents try to drill into me over and over. We want you to learn. Well, the thing how to is, she looked math. it up on her phone and it said 20 minutes, but it's by car. She probably didn't realize there's a little button right next to it that shows you walking. Well, yeah, and then it's three hours by walking, whatever. No. Um, no, but this is. Um, you know, I think a lot of kids today aren't getting out and doing enough real things. And when I talked to freshman students that were at our little um, kind of trade show that we had in our department with tables that showed all the different clubs we had in, in the animal science and the agronomy department, things that interesting things that students could do. I've been talking to some of these students that just seemed very young and other faculty um, had the same impression. These kids need to get out and do some real stuff. They're tied to their cell phones these days. I mean, that's well, the biggest issue. I saw something really nice. I went to dog on uh, uh, a dog park in Kansas City, and uh, everybody was out there with their dogs, having a great time. No phones. Kids were throwing balls for dogs. I didn't see a phone in sight. Um, it was absolutely wonderful. This was a very well-run dog park. With um, They figured out some very clever rules so that you wouldn't have dog fights. Like, they provide the tennis ball toys. Yeah. And, and you don't get resource guarding. You can bring cocktails and drinks in there, but you can't take food in there, any food, because that's resource guarding. And it was working just great and very well managed. Had to be. It's, it's totally supervised and managed. And it was fun to see kids out there throwing balls for dogs. And there wasn't a phone in sight. And that was just a few days ago. It was there. So anyways, how do we figure out where I am at? What kind of finger I am at? 
All right. Okay. I'm sorry. We got off the subject. Okay. Bad Not a problem. Now, what are you good at? Okay. Science is a subject. What, what kind of stuff are you good? Are you good at art? Are you good at photography? Are you good at mechanics? Somewhat good at art. I mean, I can, I'm somewhat of a good artist. Okay. I, I can, I can visualize stuff in my head if I want to build something in. All like right. A, so you might be good at building things. Have you, have you had much experience with building things? No. Okay, that's part of the problem. You see, maybe the skilled trades or mechanics is something you should have gone into, but you never had a chance to really try it. We've got too many kids today growing up that have never used a tool. I think that's a serious problem. I mean, my father was a locksmith. He would have liked me to follow in his trade. I mean, he, he was a what, what was the trade? A locksmith. A locksmith? Okay, well, he did you... started out as a locksmith, and then he became the microcomputer specialist for Northeastern Illinois University here in Chicago, and... Well, he must have been good at math. He was doing some of the microcomputer stuff. He, he was all right. I mean, he was the one who they called to solve any kind of issues, um, technical issues and all that, so yeah. Well, you see, there's also in the computer industry, there's also mechanical things, too, that go wrong. And... and uh, you know, I got the, uh, I've got a really good video tour one time inside a chip factory. I mean, the confidential video tour really showed it like a real tour. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, there's plenty of purely mechanical things in there for my kind of mind. You're going to need the mathematicians over there at the computers. There's plenty of stuff in there for my kind of mind to work on. Plenty of stuff. I mean, I consider myself kind of a visual thinker because when I look at a jigsaw puzzle, I'm almost able to look at the not the, the shape and the pattern of the piece and figure out where it goes. Well, and that's, um, you see, and that's some of that's pattern thinking. You see, some people are a combination of kind of the mathematical thinking and the object visualizer. We'll see, where I think about and when I'm looking at the different jobs, you might have been good in a skilled trade. You just didn't get enough exposure to it. You see, this is the thing. You see, careers start with exposure. This is why we need to be exposing kids, you know, elementary school kids to a lot of hands-on things, middle school kids to a lot of different things. And so you try different things and find out what you like, but also find out what you hate. I mean, I know I was bad at math. Okay. Well, then there's certain I was bad at math, but I was really good at designing equipment. Um, I mean, I love science, like general science. I mean, I was fascinated with like um, geology and stuff like that. I took a geology class in college. And how was the geology class? How did that go? It was all right. I enjoyed it. I, I was able to sit still. For me, I mean, computers was almost my thing because my father was in computers. My mom was doing computers, but not like big like my father. So the computer love kind of rubbed off on me from my All right, father. All that's fine. But then what did you do for jobs? When you were uh, I had, for job-wise, I was a tech support for an, a, a, um, a um, internet company for like a year and a half before they okay. got bought out and shut down. And then I couldn't find any work since. And then I volunteered here and there. 
And then I had issues because of me being autistic. People didn't understand me and they'd go over my head and then then you report me and then I'd get fired. Well, the thing that a lot of autistic people are very good at running their own businesses. You see, the successful people I worked with had their own shops. They they very entrepreneurial. You see, and I think one thing that uh, people on the spectrum may be taught is business stuff. Because when I started, I didn't have to set up business. And this is where Jim, a contractor who'd seen some of my skills, seeked me out. He showed me how to set up a business. And that's something where somebody has to show you how to do it. But a lot, the most successful people I've seen have their own businesses. And it okay. could be something like having a shop, a little shop, and you fix stuff, and you've got a little shop space in a mall. Then you fix stuff. Or you sell something, something kind of specialized. I've seen that. But I think we need to be teaching some entrepreneur skills in high school. And on elementary school, I'm... We had a disastrous Kool-Aid stand where we ran out of supplies. <laughs> and I'm realizing, you know, the skills that taught. Kids aren't, I see girls selling Girl Scout cookies, but the mom's doing the selling. Yeah, I see that well, a lot. The point, the girl is supposed to do the selling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nowadays you see the parents selling cookies to their friends and stuff, and it defeats the whole purpose of going door to door. No, the girl has got to walk up to the customers and ask for the sale. And these are things that I was learning at a very young age, along with all the other kids in the neighborhood. And and I'm the other thing I've learned, okay, I'm a professor at the university. I've kind of learned to stay out of some of the university politics. Go in, teach my class, do a good job. Um, um, and don't get involved in controversies there. Another principle is, yeah, there, no matter where you work, nothing is going to be perfect. True. There's going to be a certain amount of stuff that's maybe wrong. And uh, you can't fight in your own backyard. Now, I did quit a job when I first started because basically the company asked me to buy advertising that I knew they weren't going to pay for. Okay, something like that. No, I'm not going to do that. Where I myself was asked to do something really dishonest, buy ads I knew they weren't going to pay for in cattle magazines that I wrote it. I certainly wasn't going to do that. I had to quit that. My brother got into a similar situation working for a bank and basically was asked to steal money from the state of New York. And I, he just quit. He quit. I mean, um, and then he got, he got another job. But, but there's other stuff where a certain amount of stuff, no matter where you are, stuff goes on. And you have to look at this, the good outweigh the bad, and then just kind of avoid the bad. I don't participate in it, but just avoid it. And the other thing, sex, religion, and politics, don't bring it to work, period. And, that's and I don't bring it, put it online either. I mean, that's true anywhere you look. Don't talk politics, don't talk religion. That's right, I don't. The only way to stay safe. Yeah, because um, uh, I was a big Star Trek fan and I kind of liked the Prime Directive where some of those other things can interfere with my Prime Directive. But there's also many people that I've known in business that I know are undiagnosed on the spectrum that had very successful metalworking shops and mm -hmm. patents. 
and successful businesses. See, this is one of the things that makes me want to pull my hair out as I go back and forth in the autism world and maybe the industrial world. And what the problem is, is these shops aren't getting replaced because the kids are playing video games in the basement instead of building things or fixing a water system in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, you need, ver you need visual thinkers in the administration. They're gonna say, hey, you know, we can't just let this stuff fall apart. No, I've got a, a, a Wall Street Journal and I'll read it tonight. It's a front page article about that mess. And the thing is, is that, you know, the, the real social people don't find the water system interesting. See, for to me, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I find that kind of stuff interesting. Somebody's got to care about that infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, and the wires sure. falling off the towers in California is causing fires because nobody ever maintained the stuff. And I'm pretty sure those who are autistic are the ones that care about it because it becomes their special interest. Well, it becomes their special interest to take care of those wires. And they care about it. And now I, mean, I can see we could fly drones up over that stuff. It was a hundred-year-old connector that connected the insulator to the tower, came loose. And then what do you think happened when the wire came down, hit the tower, and zap, you've got fire. You see how you see that? Yeah. And, I mean, and the person that's autistic is going to care about connectors that hold the stuff up on the electrical towers. And when I mean, I've learned about that, I've looked at that, looked at them. You know, you could, people could be trained to look at them from the ground safely with binoculars. You know, you don't climb anything. Stay on the ground, binoculars only. Look at the connectors and any that you see are bad um, Texas pictures of them. I mean, and, they, and, and give me the, and, and they either want GPS coordinates or the tower number <laughs> maybe a fix them mm -hmm. you see I'm thinking of ways that you have, you're out in remote places I mean you look at somebody like Greta Somberg who cares so much about the environment yeah he literally went and talked to Congress about it I mean this is the kind of people we are we're yeah, passionate that's right. and, people. and the thing is uh, one of the things also to make you more effective is you have to have some clear things you work on. I didn't try to change everything in the cattle hand in the cattle industry. I worked on cattle handling equipment. That's relatively targeted. You see, uh, with verbal thinkers, it gets too vague. Well, now society just doesn't, you know, do this or that. You're going to be a lot more effective if you pick out something much more targeted to work on cattle handling facilities. That's something targeted. Mm. And finally, what do you say to somebody when they tell you all, when they say, don't all, uh, when they say, I thought all autistic people lack empathy? Well, I don't think that's true because I have a lot of empathy when I see things like smashed apartment buildings with forlorn people standing in a wrecked house. I have a lot of empathy for that. I mean, I thought I was crying to look at some of those pictures. Yeah, I, I have real sympathy with physical hardship. Now, the kind of things, you know, you like I like to listen to music and so much of music, the, the theme is romance and relationships. 
Mm-hmm. Where I, I have empathy for physical hardship. I've got real empathy for that. Okay, the electricity's turned off and you're freezing cold in the wintertime or boiling hot. That's the kind of stuff I relate to. I personally think that people think people think are just misunderstood about what we how we think and how we act. Well, I think the thing to do what I've tried to do is let's show things that people autism can do. I always bring up, well, how about Einstein, Elon Musk? You know, let's um, uh, famous musicians, Michelangelo is probably on the spectrum, Thomas Edison, a whole bunch of people that uh, Steve Jobs, that were probably on the spectrum. They accomplished a lot. I think the thing to do is to prove what you can do. But one big problem I'm seeing is I'm seeing some parents are overprotective. The kid is not learning any basic skills. I'm appalled. The number of kids that have never gone shopping. And no, I mean, my friend, he does all his shopping for his family. I mean, he's, he doesn't, but I think a lot of the problem is parents are so overprotective of their kids. Well, this is the problem. They're not learning any skills. And I think some of these problems are happening with um, even some of the normal kids, but they're going to waffle through it better than the autistic kids. But mother always had me out doing things. I remember um, we were remodeling the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid, I knew how to drive by this time, and I was afraid to go to the lumberyard and buy the materials by myself because I didn't want to talk to the staff at the lumberyard, and Mother made me go. And I got upset, but I came back for the stuff, with the boards and the other stuff. And and she was worried maybe she pushed me too hard, but you know what? It was the right thing to do. No, I had to learn those things. Yeah, I mean, you got to learn how to talk to people. You got to learn... How to act but I think in society. The thing to do, what I learned since you, when I was weird, what I learned to do is I learned to sell my work. That's what I learned to do. And so I would show people samples of my work, of my drawings. And when people saw my drawings, they were impressed. And I got selling the work. That was the thing to do. I mean, nowadays, I mean, we have we have to work hard to sh- to prove we're worthy to get into a job. And a lot of times, it's we. I've talked with so many people where they say, "Yeah, we have to mask who we are just so we can hold a job. Otherwise, we'll lose that job." Well, you get into what I can't do. Again, there's a lot of discussion about masking. There's a lot of like what I call business social. It's easy to learn shaking hands, doing introductions, right? But the kind of social I can't do because I don't process fast enough. I see people like in restaurants and stuff, it's really noisy, doing a lot of fast back and forth chit chat talk. It goes by too fast, I can't follow it. And that can get really fatiguing. And that's something I don't do. I don't do bar scene. (laughs) Okay, these are the kind of things that I avoid. But there's just some little business social that's not that hard to learn. Like just greeting people properly saying hi in the hallway but not talking endlessly on and on 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 about your favorite movie to the point where everybody's bored but i had to learn not to do that info dumping yeah yeah that that people don't like that i had to learn tell that story no more than twice and then stop it kind of almost have an algorithm for that but find something you're good at 
It's a skill other people want. You'll get respect for that. Make yourself really good at something. But I'm never going to be the social butterfly out on the bar scene. Yeah, that kind of masking I don't do. Now, things like the other thing is um, uh, there's a scene in the movie where they slam the deodorant down on the table and said, you stink, use it. You cannot be a rude, filthy, dirty slob. That that's that you, you can be eccentric, but you can't be a filthy, rude, dirty slob. <laughs> you know that you got to clean it up. I mean, that comes down to what executive function, if I'm right, learning, learning the the facts about getting dressed, learning about how to shower properly, learning how to use deodorant. Well, that stuff you can learn, you know, but mole tasking, um, yeah, there's some jobs you need to just avoid. And then driving, a lot of them aren't learning to drive. It's going to take a whole lot longer. I practice, 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 practice in a totally safe place before you touch traffic. The, would have, the cattle industry would have been impossible without driving. Do you drive? Um, I drive, and then when I came back from school, I stopped driving because yeah, my parents. Had, no, my parents had moved from the north side to the south side, and I just the neighborhood in itself is a is a little dangerous because we got a lot of Asian drivers, and I've seen a lot of accidents happen. So I get kind of paranoid about driving. Well, and that's something, you know, there's certain, I don't, you know, I sometimes just get used to going to the same restaurants all the time because there's certain parts of downtown where I live that I really don't like going into. So going to the airport, I know that like the back of my hand, driving to the airport, that trip. But there's some parts of downtown Fort Collins I do not like to drive in. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, but the other thing you can learn if I had to go down there is I'd figure out a way to go and then I'd always take a route that I thought was easier. Mm -hmm. um, because that really does limit you if you don't drive. I mean, it took me into what, my mid-20s before I got my license? I was um, maybe a little bit younger than that, but not much. And I did a year on easy roads before I touched freeways. I've only did freeway once in my life. And that was when I went with my friends and we drove to Wisconsin Dells. And I drove and I was kind of relaxed, but kind of tense. Because you can tell when you're tense when you're driving, you're, when you're gripping that yep. steering wheel really hard and you're white and your hands are just turning white. But the, um, that's something that opens up a lot more doors. And do you have decent public transportation where you live? Yes. A lot of, we have buses and L's. It's easy for me to hop an L or a bus. Okay. Well, that's good. So you've got that. And, you know, the other thing on the job thing, like if you could have your dream job, what would it be? This is my dream job right now. All right. Okay. But. If I can have my dream job, it'd be working for like one of the big um, Silicon Valley companies, Google, Microsoft, IBM. Well, there's a lot of different jobs. Would you want to program? Would you want to? I'm a tech person. I mean, like I said, tech support. Tech support. I can literally, I can help a person solve their computer problems just by talking to them over the phone and figuring out what's going on. 
maybe you need to open up a computer repair shop. Why don't you think about doing that? I should. Nope, that's something you ought to do. And you can still do your blog and open up a really good, you know, fixing phones, fixing computers. You know, like, for example, I had a Samsung monitor that um, had a, the uh, power supply went bad on it. I looked it up on YouTube. I know exactly what was wrong with that monitor. And if I had to, if I could have taken it apart and replaced the power supply, but I was busy. And then we went a big house cleaning and it did get thrown out. I kind of regret it. But there'd been someone like you, I could have taken that monitor in there I, and you could have put a new power supply in it. Because the amount of stuff that gets wasted, that's something that you could, you could do. Uh, I knew exactly what was wrong with that monitor. It was flickering. And it, and, and it got flickering worse and worse and worse. Looked up on YouTube. It's broken power. They put a cheap power supply in that thing. It was completely repairable. But I was doing tons and tons of travel. and But that's the kind of stuff where, you know, that's hardware fix. I, if, you know, I got to thinking my aunt was low income. Now, we didn't have computers in the 60s when I was there with her. But let's say we did. Let's say that monitor had been out mm -hmm. of my aunt's ranch. I would have fixed it. I, and I would have gotten a part on Amazon somehow. <laughs> I, and even if I had to build the next, put that power supply in a box, I'd put it in a plastic box to be insulated and have an external power supply for that monitor. That monitor would have been fixed. And I've always felt kind of guilty that I got chucked out one day, was in a big house cleaning. I, um, But we need someone to fix these things. That should not have been thrown away. It was a perfectly good, there was nothing wrong with the screen. Mm -hmm. No, they put a cheap power supply in it. It's what they did. That seems to be the big thing nowadays with companies. They put cheap, they put cheap stuff in there, but just to avoid cost. Well, the power supply is an expensive part, and they went. Well, the screen is the most expensive part, and the power supply is probably the second most expensive part in that monitor. And they put a cheap one in there. You know, but it would have been a lot of work. Um. Mm. But it's something that was totally repairable. But that maybe you need to start thinking about a computer repair shop. Well, you I'm not broken electronics. Well, I'm not a hardware person. I'm more a oh, software. Not. Person. I, see, I'd be a hardware person. I'm a hardware person because I figured I looked it up on YouTube and I said exactly what was wrong with it. Yeah, I could have fixed that. I am a software person. Where okay, you're a software person. Okay. When it comes to solving software issues. Um, software overlapping or your machine's crashing or you got a virus and you don't know what's going on. I'm the type of person that will literally, or something's going on with my phone and I can't figure it out. Why don't you start? I have a guy, I have a computer guy. He's a software person that helps me with my computer stuff, not hardware things, but on, um, you know, the software stuff. Well, then open up a, a little service for fixing people's the software problems with computers. Yeah, but unfortunately, that requires driving more than a yeah. than a having a shop where they bring the stuff in. Because you'd have to like he goes all over the whole town here, you know, de-virus fight, getting viruses out of computers and fixing stuff. But this is my dream job right now. I mean, I love what I'm doing. I'm helping the autism community. I've talked with so many people all over the world. And that's good. And that's really good. Yeah, it is good. I mean, and 
everyone I've talked to has said I've made him a, I've made it a safe place for them. Well, that's good. No, there's no need for that. Anyways, it's been a great interview. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's been great to be here. I was probably getting about time to sign off right now. We've been on for over an hour. All right. Let's but keep it's in been touch. really good uh, talking to you. Yeah, let's keep in touch. All right. Great to talk to you. Same here. Bye-bye. the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories somewhere in the cloud to be gonna miss all you had consigned to the dustbins of history like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet.